Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Sabbath morning. <laughs> oh, oh no. the voice of an angel. I don't know why I'm making weird voices. It's just happening today. Hi, guys. It's Sarah. <laughs> and this is Katie. And um, you probably don't know this, but it's been a hot minute since we've recorded, <laughs> which is probably why <laughs> we're coming in hot with the weirdness. Ooh, it's been a long time. It's been a few weeks and uh, the awkwardness just it increases over time, I feel. Yeah, you can take the Mormon out of us, but you can't take the awkwardness out. It is always going to be there. <laughs> um, I have a couple of shout outs before we get started, Sarah. Ooh, I'm excited. Uh, we have some new patrons to shout out, by the way. Um, just a quick little teaser, which Sarah and I will talk about later um, in next week's episode. I got to see Sarah last oh. week in person, but we're not really going to talk much about it because, um, we, yeah, we'll, we'll cover it later. But it was patrons, very exciting. It was. And these patrons that I'm going to mention, they're now on our Patreon and I posted some photos of us together. So if you're curious. You can hop on over there and uh, see our little faces together. <laughs> um, but okay, so the first patron I want to shout out is Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Welcome. Hi, Sherry. And we have April. Hello, April. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, April. I don't think we have an April or a Sherry so far. I could be wrong. I know. We're, they're new. Um, we have in the Celestial Kingdom, Pamela. Hi, Pamela. Hello, Pamela. That's my mother's name. So I always love Pamela. What right, a good that's name. a good name. <laughs> Thank you. We also have in the Celestial Kingdom, Sephronia. I hope I said that correctly. Sephronia. Sephronia. I saw that name and I was like, first it made me think of Sephora and then I got really happy. And then I was like, this is an amazing name altogether. Sephronia. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And uh, last but not least, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Oh, hello, people. Elizabeth. And thank you. Yes. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Speaking of patrons, we have an amazing, incredible guest today who we've been trying to get on the show for a while, like scheduling wise. Um, we're so happy that she's finally able to join us. Uh, so hi, Amy. Welcome. Hello and thank you. It's you know, Amy. Oh, I was going to say, I understand like the awkwardness when you're starting because I don't know, it gets like nervous. I don't know. Yeah. You guys do wonderful. So. Listen, Amy, that's nice. I don't think it's nerves. I think it's just my personality. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm just an awkward person. And some days I'm like, oh, I'll just do the normal intro. And other days I'm like, I need to sing awkwardly and hurt everyone's eardrums. So that's what I did today. You're welcome. Aww. I loved it. It's Thank what you. the people love. People come really just to listen to Sarah's vocal styling. We all know that. <laughs> Base. <Basically>. So, <laughs> Amy sent us an amazing email. I believe it was uh, at the end of last year, even. So, uh, Amy, we want to hear everything about your story. She has been through something that Sarah and I have never experienced in the Mormon Church, and I think it's going to be very fascinating and really really cool to tell all of our listeners about this, um, your experiences. So um, wherever you want to begin, please okay. jump right in. 
thank you, Katie. Um, also, I just realized I didn't plan this well because we're having renovation in the background. Hopefully that doesn't come through, but so far today it's been pretty quiet, but just in case drilling happens, I'll go on mute and you guys can take over awkwardly. <laughs> okay. Um, no worries. No, I think it should be okay. No. You've heard the background noises and that are off in my side, so I think it's okay. <laughs> okay, good. thank you. Um, also, just something that came out over the weekend, there's a uh, Mormon No More that came out on Hulu. It's a short mini series. If you guys haven't watched it, you totally need to. I watched that over the weekend. It was like, oh, amazing. So. Motherfucker. It's on Hulu. Again. I know. Sorry. I saw it. I saw everyone posting about it and I was like, I didn't see that it was on Hulu first. So I thought, oh my God, I can actually watch something. And then I found out it's on Hulu and I can't watch it. It's so annoying. Anyway. Uh, well, when you, when you figure I'm, it out, now it's again. I'll watch it. <laughs> I'll watch it and talk about it. So yeah, awesome. it, it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to derail. Um, but so I guess what I'll, before I dive in, it's probably helpful to just do like a little background on kind of mm -hmm. where I came from and, and so forth. So I, um, I grew up in Northern Virginia. So, I mean, I was born here and raised here. And so not quite as rural as, as Sarah, what you experience in Georgia, I think there's a pretty good, uh, Mormon population, LDS, whatever, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint population. <laughs> uh, I'm still like, I fight that so hard. We're Mormon. Anyways. Um, Mormon. We were told, like, we're proud to be Mormons. And then all of a sudden, it's a victory for Satan. <laughs> right? So annoying. So, also, yeah, so Virginia, sorry, this is a side note. Maybe my memory isn't as good as, well, I know it's not as good as it used to be, but isn't there like a, a Mormon university there as well? Yeah, the Southern Virginia University, it's about three hours south. So I live like right outside of the Washington, D.C. area. Um, so I'm still kind of in that like D.C. metro area. But yeah, the Southern Virginia is like this rural, I mean, maybe it was like, five or 600 students. I could be getting the numbers off. It's really small. I went to BYU Hawaii and uh, there was only 2,400 students there. And I know that uh, Southern Virginia is even smaller than that. Oh, dang. Yeah. I just remember my brother, the only one that was like Mormon growing up, wanted to go to that university because it was closer than BYU. But yeah, I so can't it, remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Buena Vista, Virginia. And it's not, um, it's obviously I think church affiliated because so many people that go there are Mormon, but obviously not. It's not under the umbrella of the BYUs, but I think they still follow all the honor code nonsense. Um. Ew, gross. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but anyway, so my parents uh, were both converts. They were married and had, I'm the youngest of three. And my brother and sister had already been born when two little missionaries came to my parents' door in 1980. And uh, I don't totally convinced my parents that they needed to join. I, you know, I haven't sat down and talked with them that much, but it'd be interesting to. It really would. What be, appealed to them. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating when people are, you know, they're adults and just missionaries show up at their door and they're like, oh, yeah, I want to join this. It's really um, interesting. I'm sure. Maybe they were searching for something or they or they liked something that the, the missionary said or how they acted or behaved or something, you know? Yeah, I always 
thought sharing the Joseph Smith story and the first vision was really awkward to people who didn't grow up in it. So to to imagine joining the church after hearing that story always just fascinates me. But yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but I, so I don't know what happened after they got baptized. But like, sure, I think my dad was like really active for the first six months, and then after that he didn't really attend church at all. So that's kind of my upbringing was a part member home. Even though he was technically a member, he he wasn't really attending. And the rest of our extended family was not uh, Mormon. So when we would go to family gatherings, like we were the oddballs. Um, and I mean, everyone was really nice, but I kind of grew up with this weird in between where you go to church and there's all these perfect families sealed together. At least that's how I perceived it. And then I'd go to my like, quote unquote, broken family. And, you know, that was really difficult, I think, growing up. Like I felt out of place and like lacking for a long yeah. time. That that song, Families Can Be Together Forever, like, ugh, I still hate it. Because I oh. think my family can't be. And I, I, I feel really bad, but I actually had a lot of malice towards my dad. I never expressed it to him. But internally, I was really upset because I thought he was the one keeping us from being together forever, which is just so dumb. Like now that I look back, like he he was wonderful. So I feel bad that I when I went back and read some of my journals that came through and it made me really sad to think that I ever thought anything less of him for that. But I can. Yeah, it's that 100 percent. Like, that's how I felt, too. Like, I was always, you know, that song families can be together forever. I hated it. Because I always thought, like, it made me, I didn't hate it. It just made me so uncomfortable. It was, like, as if everyone singing it knew that they were going to have an eternal family, but I wasn't. And it was that awkwardness of, like, they know, but I have to sing this song. And I feel bad. And also, I had resentment towards my dad because of that, too. Like, it's just, yeah. And going to family events like you were talking about, I mean, I don't know if sweet tea is a big of a thing in Virginia, but I just remember going to mine and being like, I have to have Kool-Aid because my family doesn't drink sweet tea. <laughs> and my family being like, what? All right, whatever. Here's your Kool-Aid. So not sweet tea, but I mean, the, obviously the adults would drink beer and my dad did yeah. as well at the time. Um, but I mean, I always, my we would go to this um, like Chinese buffet place and he would have tea, my dad. And I would want it. And with my, that was kind of put my mom in a weird position because technically we're not supposed to, but my dad's drinking it. Why can't I have it? So I always grew up drinking tea and I, I have never felt guilty about it at all. Um, oh, I'm envious. so horrible, but um, it was just <laughs> weird too, having this family where you're, you're taught that you have to be, you know, sealed together and, um, and then to have this extended family who doesn't believe it they're really good people and so it's just oh you know it's always kind of awkward to I didn't yeah. feel any negative thoughts towards them but I did have a hard time with sometimes how the church taught mm-hmm. that because uh, I think resentment was a really good word Sarah that's what I meant earlier versus malice but I don't know I was having a hard time like seeing them any different way except my family who I loved so well right yeah. and then there's that like disconnect there because you love your family and you want to be with them forever but then the church is teaching you that if only the family members that do what the church says you can be with forever and there's the qualifier in that song in that line families can be together forever not families will be mm-hmm. together forever so 
like I've always said, and I will continue to say, the church claims that they're all about family and keeping families together, but I think they do a better job at separating families because of things like that. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, And also you have that mentality of always trying to convert them. Like uh, for me, some of my biggest regrets and especially with my grandparents were that instead of just enjoying the time I had with them, I always had in the back of my head, like I should convert them or, you know, I want to make sure they're converted before they pass away or like I need to like do their temper work as soon as they do pass. You know, it was just like always fixated on what the church wanted me to do instead of just enjoying those really special moments with my grandparents. Like that was always in the back of my head. Yes, totally understand that and can relate. It's sad. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so my family, I mean, my brother, so I'm the youngest, my brother, when he turned, he's five years older than me, when he turned 16 and could drive and I think my mom wanted him to take himself to seminary and he was not having that. So, (laughs) and and again, my dad wasn't attending regularly, so she really couldn't force him to go. And he just, I I just don't think he ever really bought into the belief, which I really admire him now. Like, how did he figure that out at 16? (laughs) It took me like like 36 years or 37 years to figure out. But um, my sister is four years older and she was stayed active, went on a mission and everything. Um, And although eventually she ended up marrying a non-member, but same with my brother, obviously. So that was sort of my teenage years. And then, um, I mean, I think my younger years were generally positive. I mean, there was a lot of good community in my wards. And uh, so I don't really have any complaints there, but I'm sure there's probably things that if I were to really dive deep in my memory are messed up, but, um, I mean, I don't, I don't have any bad, bad experiences there. They really started, I think, after I graduated college, but I, um, I graduated high school a year early. I was 17. I like just turned like my birthday's in May. I graduated in June. So I was like a a month into my 17 years when I went to college. Wow. I went out to good old Rick's college. It was, it'll age me. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm I'm 39. So, I mean, it was 2000. I went out. um, It was the last, they had just announced it was BYU turning into BYU-Idaho. So I got like a year at good old Rick's and then (laughs) a year at Idaho. Um, I mean, that, again, I didn't really have bad experiences there, but. Really? um, Well, I I was 17. Like, I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing in life. And um, (laughs) I mean, the honor code was annoying, but we found ways around it, like. You had so it this is where it's a little different than Provo, uh, Sarah. In um, in Rexburg, they actually assign a um, oh my gosh, I can't think of like an RA, I guess. Oh, yeah. even if you live off campus and they come around and checked like what night and check to make sure you're home, at least they did when I was there, they would like do a apartment check, yeah. Okay, so that's wait why till you oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, that's wild. That's like some crazy policing shit. That's yeah. crazy. I don't know if they still do that, but when I was there, uh, the whole two years I was there, they did that. And you just wait until you've checked in, and then if you want to go out, you just leave. And you <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a little easier than like living in the dorms, huh? <laughs> yeah, not that I ever did that, but um, yeah, I think in the dorms it might have been harder, but I always lived off campus, so 
Nice. But it just was odd to me that even off campus housing, you still had that. But yeah, that's super weird. policing. Um, yeah, that control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just was like too naive and scared of boys in life to really dive out and explore in, in Idaho. So that's why I said I didn't have like a horrible experience. Gotcha. Um, and then I transferred to Hawaii um, for my last two years because I was in that weird transition from Ricks to BYU Idaho. So um, Hawaii was an amazing time. I mean, I, I mean, I can the, imagine. Yeah. Well, the, the restrictions are much looser where I, one, you're getting students from all over the world and it's just an island. So it's just very laid back. You could wear flip flops there where you couldn't in Idaho. Oh, um, that's right. You can't wear flip flops at BYU <laughs> Idaho. You can't even wear knee length shorts at least. Or <laughs> no, you couldn't even wear capris in Idaho. Oh that's my God. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, people would roll into class from the beach, like, you know, it was so late back in Hawaii. So I had a good time there, too. Um, but, yeah, and the honor code was just not as, you didn't have the policing there. Maybe just, like, judgmental roommates, but no actively, like, people coming to check to make sure you're home at midnight or whatever the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have heard that about BYU-Hawaii, that it was a lot, like less strict I guess or more like I think you described it perfectly like chill like everyone was saying that but then I also had like judgy Mormons at BYU Utah that are Provo that would be like oh but if you go to BYU Hawaii it's because you're not as like active or like righteous like they're not <laughs> I never heard that yeah probably I heard true. that quite a few times there's amazing people there that was rude of me you know that the BYU Provo people were just jealous that they weren't in Hawaii. Oh, yeah, completely. Because <laughs> Hawaii <Yeah>. is amazing. <laughs> it's true. Well, I mean, so I do want to, I went back to one of my journals and I had from probably around this time period when I was in Idaho, I wrote in the back like some personal goals. And I just wanted to like highlight a few so you know like how into Mormonism I was. Um, oh, I'm so excited. It's the first time it's not my journal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. So under like in the back, I had like a list of personal goals and they're so cringy, but of course being married and sealed in the temple, I wanted a big family and I put in parentheses six kids at least. And I like (gasps) lined it like what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Now that I don't like we don't my partner and I don't want kids. And um, so it's just weird to think that just growing up in that marriage centric, like family centric culture, that that's kind of what, I mean, maybe at the time I wanted it, but thank God. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, that's fascinating to me because it shows that maybe in, in my head, I've, I've kind of experienced that too. Like I never wanted to have six kids, but as a Mormon, I was like, oh, of course I'm going to have at least a few kids. And now that I'm older and I'm out of the church, I don't want children, but I was in the same boat, and I think that a lot of our identity and, like, what we think we really want, it actually came from the church, and we didn't really sit there and think, do I really want this? But you think that you do because that's what you're conditioned to – you're told that you have to do, right? A hundred percent. It's fascinating. I like, thinking the exact same, like – I mean, I don't – I'm sure I've written it down somewhere in a journal of, like, I want to have five kids, like, four to five kids. I want this and that, and, like – I mean, you know, after I left the church and now like with my husband, like it took us a while. Like I had to really think like, do we, do I as an individual want to have kids or 
is it just what the church has been telling me? And I really struggled with that for a while, like finding out what it is that I actually want versus what I've been taught and brainwashed into thinking. So, um, yeah, now that we are obviously expecting it's, it's, it's a really even more exciting, I think, because it's like, this is my choice. Like I chose this, this is like something I put a lot of thought into. I really wanted like, but it was my choice and not dictated by anyone else. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that when I met Matt, my boyfriend partner, whatever, we're not married, but practically we own a home together. So, so my story does have a good ending, but um, he, he um, didn't, well, when we first met, I asked him if if he wanted kids and he kind of left the door open. He said, well, I kind of lean no, but you know, if my, the person I'm with really does, you know, maybe, and it was really nice to be with someone who I think, like you, Sarah, gave me the space to really decide what I wanted. And um, I'm sure if we had kids, we'd, we'd love it, but I don't, or we'd love them, but um, I don't know. I just, for right now, it just doesn't seem like our path, which, and I'm happy that I got to really think about it. It's, yeah. Amazing. Like that's incredible that you have this supportive partner, but also you have the ability to make that decision on your own and feel okay and not feel guilt about it. You know what I mean? Like it's your choice to make. Right. And the nice thing is now that I'm, I'll be 40 next year where people don't like give me as hard of a time about it anymore. I'm like, Oh, I'm almost, I'm almost past my prime. So, <laughs> but yeah, you definitely still get the people that are like, you totally want kids. Just, just do it. Oh, that's so obnoxious. It's... I mean, having a dog is a lot of work. I can't imagine a child. So. Right. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yeah. You guys in a few months, like four or five months, next episode in like December, you're going to have me like, break down in tears all the time like I thought it was gonna be easy as a cat I can't <laughs> you're gonna be a great mom and yes, you your are. child is gonna grow is it a boy or girl I don't know it's a boy oh he's gonna grow up just I think feeling safe and loved and I, I just yeah. you're gonna be great you're gonna I'm sure be it'll be hard fair. but you'll be great yeah thanks guys don't make me cry in the episode I'm hormonal <laughs> I know. I, well, shoot, I might cry later. Who knows? And I'm not hormonal, but well, maybe. I don't know. Um, well, anyways, a couple of my other like cringy goals. I put this is so well, I want to be like a virtuous woman. You know, oh, and then I put like improver, like the scripture reference. Oh, <laughs> oh I think you win, Amy. I think you oh win. But like scripture references. Oh, I totally. Well, I'm a so. I'm a research director, like I'm a trained researcher and that my PhD, one of my specialties is research methodology. So I can't not, I like put citations in my journal. It's really, I was going to say you're all about those (laughs) citations. You got to get them in. I can't help it. Uh, I put always pay tithing. (gasps) That one, isn't that so sad? I'm so mad about all the money I spent. I'm sure you guys. Oh, tell me about it. Oh God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, some of the others are just dumb. Like, I want the spirit to be with me all the time. And I want to be a charitable woman. (gasps) It's so sad that, like, you write that in your journal. And I'm sure at the time you're like, these are the best goals you could possibly have. And it's just the generic 
brainwashing of the church being like, this is what you're supposed to say and do. And like, I don't know if it was the same for you, Amy, but for me, when writing in my journal, I felt like I can never actually be honest. Like I was just like, I have to write really righteous things so that like, it looks like I'm righteous and God will see my efforts and blah, blah, blah. But like in the back of my head, I was like, I really just want to talk about this crush I had or you know, whatever I was thinking at the time and not really like, I'm going to set goals so I can pay tithing for the rest of my life. Like no (laughs) one, no one thinks that really like, (laughs) I know it's kind of embarrassing, but, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't, when I read back, that just doesn't sound like me, at least not who I am anymore, but you're right. It's so just ingrained to, to think that that's what your goals would be. Um, And it makes me mad, too, that it's like it was so ingrained in all of us that you had all these goals for yourself. And one goal was to give your money to an organization that doesn't need it. It's just like wild to look back on that mentality we had. And it it makes me mad at the church because, as we know, they're so rich. They don't need that from anyone. They just raised, I saw something actually this morning or maybe it was last night. Somebody posted, I think, on Mormon Stories podcast on Facebook that they just changed in the Mormon handbook that they used to have, you know, your tithing, fast offering, and then there's all these additional funds, perpetual education, temple patron assistance, um, missionary, I don't know, there's a bunch of them. But now they've like done away with all those and it's just general, like general, um, I don't remember the term, but it's just like a general fund. So you can't even, right. specify, if you want to give extra now, like to a different cause, you you can't even do that. That made me really upset because yeah, there are some causes even within the church that maybe someone wanted to support and that's taken away. Um, yeah, they don't have any um, transparency anymore. I mean, they never really did truly, but like now you have zero control. It's like, just give us your money and don't ask questions about where it's going. We're not going to tell you. Yeah, it'll be used based on like how the prophet wants it to be used. Which... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. One other big thing from before I get into like the, oh man, the time is already like going so fast. But um, the, so I actually, when I was in Idaho, I started to have really strong feelings that I should go to the temple, like even from when I was 17. And it probably looking back was just like super curious out of like curiosity that I really wanted to go. But um, when I turned 18, I ended up meeting with my Bishop and he, uh, he was like, no, you're too young, but whatever, go talk to the state president. Cause I think he didn't want to be like to give a definitive answer. He wanted to kind of pass it off. Mm -hmm. Uh Well, when I went to talk to the state president, I just explained how I was feeling and he, um, he said, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you should let's fast about it next Sunday and then we'll meet again and and decide. So we did, um, I fasted about it and he did as well. And then when I went to meet with him, he said, yeah, I I think that you should go. And so, which is so rare. I wasn't engaged. I wasn't going on a mission. Plus I was 18. It's so I, maybe they let girls go a little bit younger now, but at the time that was like almost unheard of. Um, so I went and I went back to read through like my see if I had anything about that experience. And at the time, I just remember. Um, so we I actually went um, in 2001. So they still had the shield uh, when you do your initiatory. It's still open on the side and they actually like touch you with oil. And you're so naked underneath, right? Yes, you are. And yeah. which. <laughs> yeah. 
they've changed that um, for good reason. But so I took a temple prep class and the, and the stake president had even gave me a heads up. And I think this is probably unique for me, but he said, there's going to be a time where you'll be naked, but it'll be tasteful. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> it'll be tasteful. Oh, <laughs> okay. God. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm sorry, but like if any other context, like imagine us just having this conversation <laughs> and being like, you go through the temple, there's oil involved and you're naked. Like, right. it's like you're describing an erotic film. Like what? <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, like, Amy, what if we had had you as a guest on the podcast and it wasn't just audio, it was also video. And before we began, we'd be like, OK, so just so you know, there's going to be a lot of oil and there's you're going to be naked, um, but it'll be tasteful. That's all we can tell you, though. <laughs> yeah, it does sound it sounds really I remember it. I mean, it, those were the exact words that you used. So obviously, like, you know, 20 years later, it still sticks out. But yeah, um, so they don't they don't, they're supposed to just touch like your, like your, like your side, like the side of your leg, the side of your, you know, your hip, I think like uh, maybe the side of your rib. So it's not meant to be, well, I mean, obviously the whole thing's inappropriate, but they're not intentionally trying to touch a private part, for example. But, you know, my mom was a temple worker and she said, you know, she was really glad when they changed it where it's um, symbolic because she said, yeah, sometimes you, when you're doing it, like you slip or you act like they don't mean to touch you anywhere, but there's a shield. And so you can't really see. So they're just kind of, especially if you're like curvy, I'm just thinking if someone tries to touch my rib, they're definitely touching my side boob. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, but oddly enough, I think that the initiatory was a special experience because it was another woman who like it's women blessing women. And so for me, that's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that in the church where it's a woman leading, you know, having any kind of like priesthood authority, if that's what they consider in the temple. And so I, I did like that, but the rest, uh, but I was also very happy when they changed it and it's symbolic because that you still get that, that feeling of women mm-hmm. being in charge. Um, and then when I walked out to go start the endowment, there was some people walking by that had finished. So they're wearing the robes and the, the apron and hats. <laughs> and I looked at my mom and I said, am I going to be wearing that? And she just laughed. Oh, <gasps> like not in like a rude way, but kind of just like, he, yeah, but <laughs> I was like, oh okay, thanks God. mom. Yeah. Um, but it was just her and I that went. So, I mean, it was a special experience. And then the next day, my best friend got married. So I was able to go see her ceiling. And I just remember thinking, some people like it, do this, they get their endowment and they get sealed for themselves, like all at once. Uh-huh. I was so grateful that I was able to listen to it and see it before I'm actually the one doing it. Right. But that would have been yeah. a lot to commit to. Doing it all and then getting married right after. Like, I can't even imagine how overwhelming wow. that would be. Well, you're committing to something you've never even heard before. Right. You have no idea. Right. So yeah. anyways, that was um. But the reason I brought that up is because it is important to like the rest of my story. So because I was endowed so young, I think that that impacted um, future disciplinary actions. So uh-huh. um, so what uh, when I graduated college, I moved to Florida and just kind of in a nutshell, I ended up dating somebody who wasn't a member and 
so sad when I went back to read um, about some of those experiences in my journal, like he was such a good man. Like he treated me really well. And I even wrote that, like, he's just so kind and um, unlike anyone I've ever been around before. Um, but he's not Mormon, Ugh. you know, it just made it like such a big deal to my, to me. Yeah. Um, God, I, this is all resonating so close to me like I can just think back of like a handful of those situations and I mean obviously you don't regret it now because you are happy with your partner and me with my husband like things work out how they do but it's just like so and it's so frustrating that you didn't get to have those experiences to the fullest because you wouldn't let your guard down because they weren't Mormon or that's how it was for me yeah I could never actually fully commit to this because this person's not Mormon and how sad of that cloud yeah yeah it's sad that um, that our religion can prevent these potentially beautiful rela- relationships from developing because you're like, well, he doesn't have the priesthood, so I don't, I, you know, you don't want to take this yeah. any further. That's a bummer. You can't take me to the temple. Yeah. And if you go back and look, I'm sure you both have them. I'm sure in one of these pages somewhere I had them, but the list of like what I wanted in a future spouse. Like, oh, yes. Um, and when I think back on those, those lists, it was arbitrary, like holds the priesthood, went on a mission, has a good job. Um, I guess that's not arbitrary, but still if you want, um, a lot of them were just like check boxes. Like they did this, yeah. this, and this and not nothing about how they treat me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was manifested, I think, in later relationships. I definitely dated people um, throughout the years who fit the check spot checkbox but then when I think about how they treated me like I didn't even pay attention to how they treated me and some of them treated me like shit you know oh um, I, mean, I don't know if you want to go into this story but I just remember you talking about the guy I think it was in Thailand yeah he, he was like a complete asshole and I wanted to throw my laptop out the window oh my gosh yeah yeah I, oh. I can I can get to that at, at yeah um so, well, with the, the guy in Florida, we did end up um, breaking the law of chastity. And, uh, oh, oh, God. No. Right. But but you said it well, Sarah, where, and, or maybe it was Katie, but because I had this, like, black cloud, I think there was so much guilt and shame around it that what could have been a really healthy, good relationship, I think, was so clouded. And he was a good person. I don't have anything bad against him. And in some ways, I... Well, I don't regret the way things happen because like I have a really good life now, but I do sometimes wonder what that experience could have been like had I not had all that guilt and shame. Um, Well, right. Even just the bare minimum of you avoiding that, that intense shame, I feel like would have been beneficial. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if nothing else really happened, it's just like, it's sad that you had to even experience that shame just because you were intimate with a committed partner. Like that should right. just be normal, but the church teaches you it's like the worst sin next to murder. So, yeah. oh yeah. So I um, well before that even happened, my bishop down there in Florida um had called me into his office because I I was one of the young women counselors down there um in my ward, and there was only three girls who were like active. And so during mutual activities, sometimes there'd only be like one or two, so there'd be three or four leaders and like two kids. <laughs> so I asked permission from the president if I could skip
skip some of them because it just didn't always make sense to come. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. and this is probably similar to your experience there where it's like 30 minute drive to the church. So anyways, um, Girl, like everything that you're saying, like the young women leader, I did that. I'm like, are we the same person? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the bishop calls me in and I'm like really confused. And he I guess somebody in the ward heard I was dating a non-member and saw that I wasn't attending all of the um, yeah, women activities. And like, he wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing anything inappropriate or I, I just remember it being super awkward. Cause at that time, like I was still doing everything I was supposed to do. Like I hadn't, I was just dating a guy. I hadn't had sex or anything. So it was, it was just weird. Um, it made me really uncomfortable. And I, then you're also like wondering who in the hell like reported me. Yeah, um, that's such a thing in the Mormon church that maybe people who never grew up in it, you might not realize, but the the telling and like watching and, and mm-hmm. policing of each other is such a huge thing in the Mormon church. Yeah, so I didn't attend. I stopped going after that um, to church because I just was like, I just don't feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah and, of course. And then, of course, that after that, that's when things progressed. Um, I don't even know how to. That's where I got more serious and intimate with my boyfriend at the time. And um, I mean, to make that long story short, I eventually just kept feeling a lot of guilt and shame and knew that I needed to, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm not living the life I thought I'd live. And I really want to make it right. And and the only way to, to do that was to um, move away. So I ended up moving back to Virginia and started going to graduate school and everything. But um and then at that point is when I went to see my bishop. And that's kind of where things get real. Um, so speaking of when I went to see my bishop, they asked me to read The Miracle Forgiveness, uh, <laughs> which I think you guys have talked about it on the podcast. But yes, yeah, Sarah or Katie mentioned earlier, there's a chapter called The Sin Next to Murder, which is yep. the, the chapter about um, having sex before marriage. And I think um, it also talks about homosexuality. Um, Mm -hmm. homosexual relationships but I mean that's the title the sin next to murder I mean yep how are you supposed to feel (laughs) if you read that and they're like oh don't make sure you read the last chapter it gives you all this hope I I don't remember reading the last chapter but I do remember reading that one Mm -hmm. um that book is horrifying and it's so toxic and horrible like I just cannot believe that they made people read that shit and still encourage it like even though it's not published anymore it's still like oh so and so has a copy of it just get up and read it so I still have a copy it's in a box in my basement (gasps) I don't know why I still have a box of church books that I need to get rid of but there's a few hey that'd be some podcast gold content right there yeah I mean I could I could get it out and I probably still have my highlights in there oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that good Mormon girl yep oh my gosh um well so um, when, so because I was endowed, um, and broke the law of chastity, that becomes now like a very large sin in the church's eyes. So when I went to talk to the bishop, he wanted to hold a disciplinary council, mm-hmm. which, um, I just spent like 40 minutes talking about stuff that not related to this. And this was supposed to be the crux of the conversation. So oh, I'm sorry. No. It, we needed the lead up. So yeah, we needed the background. This is great. Yeah, no worries. Okay. 
So I'm either 21 or 22 years old at this point, probably, um, let's say 22. So I go in and tell my bishop what happened. You know, he, I think, I do want to preface that I don't fault any of my bishops because I think they're a product of the system and, you know, they, this is what they're taught to. So yeah, I don't have the organization is. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I still, oh God. Sorry. I was just going to say, like we said before, these men are not trained to do any of this stuff. Um, and they're put into this like calling, quote unquote, um, and they have to go through this shit. And it, it's all messed up from the very top down. Like everyone involved is like fucked up. Like it, it fucks them up, I think, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, he did ask me questions, but I think I was lucky in that it, it never felt too perverse. Like it was just, what happened was it I think he was just trying to gauge like was it more than once was it how often kind of thing and so um for me it's, oh, um, I still just hate it so bad it's like I just hate the fact that this man is asking you how often you had sex with your boyfriend as if it's any of his business like and like you said it's it's what he's told he has to do but just this idea that it even happens is disgusting like they shouldn't be asking this this is nobody's business yeah it is cringy but I've heard of the reason I framed it that way is because I've heard of people having like really cringy stories oh yeah they asked did you orgasm how many times what positions like I never had any yeah thankfully it's already awkward enough (laughs) you're going to talk to some like man who's your dad's age and you're like no I had sex with my boyfriend um Oh, God, no. Yeah. Well, because I think if you aren't into, well, here's, it's Bishop Roulette, but some could be super harsh. Yes. Some might be more lenient. Um, I think um, for me, they, because I had been endowed already and had made a covenant not to do that ever, except with my husband, um, that made it much more serious. So they had a disciplinary council. Um, and so, I had to like, you know, they give you these formal letters and everything during that whole process. And I tried to see if I had any, but I think I must have thrown them out, which is I didn't know that. A good thing. Letters. Yeah. So this is I kind of mapped out how it works. So. The first step is like you meet with your bishop and confess, and then they decide if you need a disciplinary counsel or maybe you can just work out whatever the sin is with them. So in my case, um, and. I've had more than one, so and we can get into some of the others later. But so if they have a council, if they decide you need a disciplinary council, then they set a time and a and a date. Like and then they they give you a formal letter. Um, in my case, they just handed it to me at church, and they do try okay. to do it at a time when like nobody else is going to be there because they they want it to. Obviously, if you're going in a room with the entire bishopric by yourself, like other people, and then someone else sees it, they might. Yeah. No. So they're yeah. judging people hard with that. Like yeah. if I saw someone going into the bishop's office after church or before church, I'd be like, "Ooh, I bet they did something wrong." <laughs> I'm sure people thought that. I've been in bishop's offices so many times. It's, <laughs> it's um, oh my gosh, it's bad. But um, so yeah. So they, I mean, I will credit that that they at least at least my experiences they tried to do it as discreet as possible. But you get a letter saying that we'll have a disciplinary council at this date and this time. On that day, you go and you show up and um, the bishop will have already had a meeting with 
um, the Fisher Bricks. So in a disciplinary council at the ward level, that's the only experience I have. I know it can, I think it's similar at the stake level, but just different people involved, but it's the entire Fisher Bricks. You have the bishop, first counselor, second counselor, and the ward clerk who takes notes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like a full panel. Pretty much. Um, and in a singles ward, um, the first time I went, the, the ward clerk was an older, he was single, but he was like an older, he was, I don't know. I don't know how old he was, to be honest, but um, not somebody that like, he was not really in the social scene. So he kind of felt, um, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't that big of a deal, but some of the ones that I had when I was older in my mid-singles wards, um, and it's another like member of the ward who like you could maybe want to date, like obviously oh, you're not going to date them because right. they're oh. sitting in your disciplinary council like, oh, I know what you did. Um, oh. And you hope that they keep it to themselves, but how do you, you don't, you don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's, so it's a panel of four men. Of and course, then, and wives, I'm assuming. Yeah, for me. Um, I, I there was one time there was an African American counselor. What? Yes. Um, That's rare. <laughs> yeah. So they um, yeah, you walk in, they're all sitting there. You're kind of like voice the rooms were set up like in a well, not really a circle. It was mainly like kind of all of them and me, almost like you're like sitting at a panel of judges. Um, yeah, I was gonna say that it sounds like they're like all facing you, right? Yes. Yeah. And then they start asking you questions. Um, and again, I think I was fairly lucky that they didn't get into like super detailed, like sexual questions. My questions were really around like what my beliefs were and testimony and maybe like what what were some of the things you were doing or not doing that led up to the sin? Um, oh my God. So were you reading your scriptures and praying <laughs> regularly? And the answer is like, no, of course not, because that's boring. Um, Anyways, Um, anyways, so I do remember one of them, and I I will say it, so I've had um, over the course, I'm 39 now, and over the course of my, um, I stopped going to church when I turned 37, so um, over the, although still a member of record, which I need to take care of, but um, so I've had four of these since then, and yeah, and I should preface that like if, also over like almost 20 years of being in a singles ward, um, every time it was with somebody that I had been committed to and was in a relationship with. And what do they expect of mid singles? Like, right. I, I mean, they expect us to to wait until we're married, which for some people that might never happen. Like, yeah, it's just really yeah. unfair. It's super unfair and it's super messed up that. It's messed up that it's even considered a sin, but then you have to confess it. And and in their eyes, it's like, well, if you had married this person you were dating, then it's not a sin. But it's like you shouldn't have to be forced into marrying someone you just barely met. Like, it's it's crazy. So, yeah. And so when you think about. um, And it was different bishopric, different bishoprics each time. So that's four people times four different times. It's like 16 people 16 holy shit holy and who know your business and oh god okay and in some cases it's even more because they were like bishop change outs and stuff so when i think back on that i'm like oh my god that's so embarrassing but i just was doing what i thought 
how we're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the fact that like it shows how devout and how in the religion you were that like you even after you did the quote unquote sin, you went to your bishop and confessed and went through this. Like, you know, I to be honest, I, I did that like once or twice. And then I thought to myself, if this ever happens again, I'm not doing it. Like, I can't be that righteous. Like, it's just not, not that I had the disciplinary, but like just going to my bishop to confess, you know, it was just so uncomfortable that I thought like, I can't do this again. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how I did it so many times, but yeah, well, I yeah, think it, partly because I had garments and I'd gone through the temple and that death pool was so strong. And in some ways, I feel like that going to the temple so young helped ground me in some ways, but at the same time, I think what would my experience have been had I not gone? Like, I just can't believe you wore garments for that long. Me <laughs> oh my gosh. 18 years. Holy shit. Jesus. Wow. And it gets not quite as hot as Georgia, but it gets swampy here in Virginia. In the oh. <laughs> I just, yeah. whoa, that is impressive. I could never last that long. I don't think. Those I mean, I definitely in the summers would like wear workout clothes probably longer than I should. And, whatever um I did the things that all this well I guess now there's a lot more nuance around wearing garments it seems with some of the influencers on Facebook but or Instagram oh god yep um I do remember one question that sorry to jump back but um one of the questions I one of my first disciplinary councils one of the bishop break members had said how did it feel and <laughs> oh. I'm, like, I'm laughing now because at the time I've misunderstood I was like good I, I was really confused and he was like no 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 sorry I meant like your testimony and like he was like I he was like what was the feelings going on like when you like broke this I don't remember how he rephrased it but he wasn't trying to get to like physically how to feel it was like <laughs> but it was oh. so awkward that's the only time I remember like a specific question oh that's I just so remember being so uncomfortable I'm like um that's good you're like um <laughs> sir have you ever had sex it's good <laughs> right really nice yeah so um, um so yeah that so you they ask questions you answer and, and the whole goal is them trying to like figure out where you stand spiritually and then um, and then they ask you to leave and then they pray and discuss. And so there's a couple different outcomes that um, can happen. So they have an informal probation and a formal probation. Both of those, um, they may like lay out some restrictions. So probably like don't take the sacrament, don't give talks, don't pray in public. Mm. Um, but you don't have to have another disciplinary council after those. Um, if that's the result, you can just work one on one with your bishop. And then when he feels like they, they may set a specific timeline, like you'll be on formal probation for, for nine months. That was the first one after my first disciplinary council. For nine months, you wow. couldn't. Wow. Yeah. That's a long um, time. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've always felt a little awkward about taking the sacrament. I always feel like people are staring at you. So now imagine you can't take it and you're in a singles ward where you want to like, you know, become a wifely person, you know, just or be a wife to somebody. You're like, oh, they're all going to see and notice. Um, well, yeah, which maybe no one did. I don't know. But geez, oh, so oh, they did because you they know, we were all watching. <laughs> yeah. Like we all watched other people and oh, it is yeah. a form of it's a form of public shame. Like they, 
they might say all they want, like, oh, it's like private and blah, blah, blah. It's between you and the Lord or you and the bishop. But then you go to sacrament meeting and everyone notices that you don't take the sacrament. So then they're like, oh, what did she do? What sin Yeah, and she? if it's over months, they're like, hmm, she must yeah. be right. doing, doing the freaky. <laughs> must have been <laughs> the worst thing you can do, right? <laughs> yeah. But... So, so yeah, my first. Longer than four months, they didn't just soak; they went all the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, but yeah, after so at nine months of formal probation, and um, and then once the bishop, um, again, you don't have to have another disciplinary council. Now, when you're disfellowshipped, basically that you lose all the same or all the restrictions. So you, of course, you have to pay tithing. Um, of course, but. You. But again, no sacrament, no callings, no talks, no prayer in public. Um, maybe you have additional things that you need to do. Like they'll usually say pray all the time and read scriptures. Um, and usually that's about a year, but there, there's not a specific timeline. I mean, they may, I guess your bishopric can set a specific time for at least, you know, X months or whatever. Mm-hmm. But generally, if you're just fellowship, you can expect it to be about a year. Wow. And most cases, they'll probably want you to meet with your bishop regularly. So, again, not only are you not taking sacrament, but you're having to go talk to your bishop a lot. And so, again, in the singles ward, that's probably noticed because we don't have little kids to pay attention to. You just pay attention to everybody else. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then for that discipline to be taken away you have to have a follow-up disciplinary council so oh my god so then in that time you're focusing more just on your spirituality you're not getting into the details again of what you're what you did to get you there but um still another panel of four people if it's the same bishopric cool if it's a different bishopric now you've got to kind of get to know them a little in a way that you never wanted to um anyways and then i think that the other outcome is excommunication which i have not been excommunicated so i can't speak to that but um anyways yeah it it was certainly on the table at least one of my disciplinary councils i know the bishop told me that that they talked about that a lot mainly because i think he wanted it not because whoa the other bishop because you had sex they wanted to excommunicate you Mm-hmm. This is the whole thing. Like, I'm, I'm over here listening to you tell this. And I'm like, you, all you did, you didn't do a single thing wrong. You didn't hurt anybody at all. And yet you're having to go through all of these processes and being publicly shamed. And I'm sure it wasn't great. At least for, if it was me in your shoes, it wouldn't have been great for my mental health. And yet there are people in the Mormon church who are doing terrible things all the time as we know, and we've heard mm-hmm. of like all the abuse that happens, all of the other, you know, very unethical things that happen. And they don't have to go through this shit because either they lie or because it's not deemed as big of a sin. Yet you didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. It just infuriates me that this, yeah. that you even had to go through this. Well, one of my disciplinary counsels happened after, um, and I think I put this in my email, but I, I hate to use the word rape because it's very strong, but I was definitely assaulted and I did not want what happened. So, I mean, that, that is that rape. Is, yeah. yeah. But I went and I talked to my bishop, like, what? I 
when I think back, I can't believe that I did that. But what's worse is that he told me that I should have screamed or I should have oh been willing God. to die for my virtue. And wow, I'm getting emotional. Didn't expect oh this. God. But, you know, at the time, I think I was probably like 25 or 26. And like, I didn't do anything wrong. And you know what? When you, hopefully, and if anybody's listening has ever been in a scenario, like, it's the scariest thing that can happen. Like, one of the worst things that can happen to you. And maybe I could have screamed. I don't know. But the situation I was in, I don't know. I just went into survival mode and you do what you got to do. And um, to have somebody tell me that who will probably never be in a situation like that. No. Tell me I should have been willing to die for my virtue. I, I was so hurt and mad. And then I had to have a disciplinary council. Like, Ugh. because of that, because you were raped. This is. Oh my God. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, I I'm mean, so I, sorry. Thank you. I mean, I've dealt with that. There's a lot of learning experiences. And I, you know, what's crazy is at the time, I mean, I remember feeling very uncomfortable and upset about it. But now looking back, I think I must have like put it out of my mind because when I started to my journey out of the church and reflected back, all of these emotions came up and like that was one thing that like really hit me I'm like how did I not think that that was messed up this the the third time was the one that made me the most upset not taking my feelings aside for the bishop he sent me to addiction recovery which you just had an episode on it I think last week was when it posted and I Mm -hmm. oh my god I was so mad that's the only time I can remember feeling like infuriated with my bishop um what, what was he saying your addiction was to sex i guess so oh then at that point this is my third time and i'm like almost 30 at this point and the second time was rape so you know i love that they count that as like you willfully being like yep that's that's one of the times i quote broke the law of chastity like fuck right off i can't <laughs> yeah oh. well i did write about my addiction recovery and I know that mine wasn't they weren't senior missionaries well they wore the missionary like name tag but they were just like they were members of the stake who I guess that was like their calling but so they weren't but they were older like maybe my parents age but I'm I'm getting more and more incensed the more I listen to your story even though like I read your email it's just like this is all so ridiculous and you were you didn't have an addiction. Um, I just I, ah, I just want to yeah. scream. I felt the same way. I didn't, and I would tell the bishop because he would want me to report back every week. And I'm like, I don't need to go to these sessions. This is not helping me. And he like just saw that as my refusal to like I wasn't repentant. And finally, mm. um, and by the way, when you go to those sessions, at least when I did, um, they said you don't have to share, but then you kind of I never shared anything about my experience, but they do make everybody like kind of go around it and share at some point. And I was like, I just, um, I think I just said, my name's Amy and that's it. And then they're all like, hi, Amy. Just like, you see on a, a, a oh, yep. uh-huh. but I didn't even want to do that. But like they, they wouldn't like, it's, it's all silent and they're all just sitting there staring at you. Like, what are you supposed to do? 
Um, this is super so, awkward. I feel like so, I'm still in shock by this that they. I I just can't. I can't fathom it. Like I really can't. Like the amount of bullshit you had to go through with the disciplinary council and all of that, and then this too. It's just like it's all such bullshit, and it's taking up so much of your time. Oh like, yeah. It was like 12 uh, weeks or so. 12 um, weeks you had to go. Holy shit. Addic- I'm doing air quotes. Addiction <laughs> therapy or whatever they wanted to call it. Like, oh my God. Yeah. So the, I remember one time I went to one of the counselors and I was like, I can't talk to the bishop anymore. Like, he's just not hearing me when I'm telling him that these aren't helping. And he gave me the best advice. He said, maybe you should like fake humble for a little while and then it'll be fine. (laughs) So I took his advice. I just, every time I meet with the bishop, I would just be like, yeah, it's great. Things are going good. And, um, and then, you know, things all eventually got better, but how bad that I had to like, I couldn't express my true feelings of frustration. I had to pretend that all was well. And I hate that I even had to pretend that, but I mean, well, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have been able to get off the discipline otherwise because I had a voice and I'm expressing how I feel and that was just that's unacceptable right you have to just be sweet and go along with what they say and quote unquote repent yeah but so oh yeah I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no no you're good I'm you're good go ahead I I wanted I know that we're like basically like out of time but Sarah you had mentioned something that I wrote in my email so most of this people that I had been with were not Mormon or like really enacted, not, they're not going to be going to their bishops, but I did move overseas for a little while and was dating somebody who was a member who checked all the boxes, missionary, good job, all that stuff. And on paper, he was everything, but like a total asshole. And um, I don't want to reveal too much because there's some other people that if they ever heard, like, I don't want to have them feel like I'm talking about them, but this person was completely like uh, emotionally abusive. Like he had basically like a whole, uh, so at the time when I started dating him, I had been losing weight and I, um, he was like, if you don't lose 15 pounds, like you, you can't even consider a future with, with us. Oh my God. But also 15 pounds is so arbitrary. Like you shouldn't even be mentioning someone's weight like at all. It's supposed to care for this person and uplift them. And you're like giving them a number that they have to get down to in order to be worthy to be with you. Fuck right off. Like yeah, and I, I also had been running marathons. I've done, I've done an Ironman, like all the way up to, to his or till meeting him. Um, I don't think I've done a marathon like that the year that I met him, but I had done plenty of half marathons and um, he can't even run a freaking mile. And yet you're like, telling me I need to lose 15 pounds. Oh, even if you hadn't run, ran any marathons and you never went to the gym, you never dieted. It doesn't matter. No one should true. ever fucking comment on your weight ever, unless you are a medical professional and you have good reason to say that it affects your health. You should never, ever mention it. That's true. I totally agree with that. I think I was just putting that in for context. I don't know. It just um, it sounds like the worst kind of human. You dodged the bullet. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, you know, I dealt with emotional abuse before, but I'll have to say like, I, man, that's the hardest to recover from. Mm-hmm. It just gets in your head, even 
even now sometimes it's still like it generally I don't think about it but every now and then those thoughts creep back in but he was an active member and um when I went to the bishop uh he, he I mean he eventually went because um I went and because he's active you know if, if it's a member the bishop will ask um you know what ward they're in and the person's name and then that bishop will call and let, oh, if you're yeah. in the same ward they'll, they'll bring them in and otherwise they'll call the bishop of of his ward and um I he never because he would like wouldn't willingly participate like he never I don't know what his punishment was but as last I heard nothing had really happened to him and yet I I got disfellowshipped again and um what there were some other things going on that were it was obvious that he was being like emotionally abusive to more than than one person and he'd had a history of this which I didn't know but with other at least one other person in the stake um in the fact that when I when I was getting cleared and getting my temple recommend back after that last time um I had asked about what was going on with him and was told like nothing had happened yet and I was just so hurt because if anyone's going to be excommunicated like it should have been someone like him because he's yeah. a predator and yeah. you know, he's not physically molesting or assaulting people, but the emotional abuse that he caused on at least two other women that I'm aware of, like that's. That's abuse. It's yeah. Abuse. And it's still something that he should have been excommunicated for or, or heavily disciplined for. If they're going to do that to you, then they need to fucking do it with the men. And they never do. They never yeah. do. I think they were, I don't know if they were trying, but like, I know he wasn't actively like, trying to make things right so i think that and i was so maybe things just happened with me sooner and something happened with him later but still for it to be almost a year and find out like nothing had happened well you know amy we've heard from so many people right sarah like so many women that um have been in a situation similar to yours where they as the woman have gotten disciplined and the man nothing happened to him or maybe he got a little slap on the wrist or something but it was like the woman almost always from what we've heard mm-hmm. in these situations I mean I'm sure it happens with men as well but like so many women have told us that like something happened with a guy in their ward and they got in trouble and the guy didn't yep yeah it's horrifying yeah <sighs> which you know at the time well no I was pretty pissed at the time but when I think back in that experience too like he was the one that was like constantly pushing boundaries not to say of course obviously like I allowed eventually but now meeting my partner now he I don't think I understood what true consent was until I was with him at at 36 or 37 when I met him which is so sad but he never you know if you've all been if you've ever been dating a guy Mormon or not and they're like oh let me just touch your boob or let me just put my hand here and see what happens you might move it away and then they'll try again you know and eventually like you kind of get to a point where maybe you get caught up in the moment and you're like okay whatever sure but um until you have someone who like truly is like steps back and let you kind of lead and say what you want or, or not it like I feel like there are so many scenarios looking back where people were just pushing boundaries and kind of seeing how far they could take it. And that makes me mad too, because there's things that I did that I 
I think had I had time to really stop and process, I would have said no. Oh yeah. I don't want that. Um, but I didn't have the opportunity. So, cause they yeah. just kind of in the moment, let me just push and see how far we can take this. It's really annoying. Yeah. I've been in that position many times. Um, and Sarah and I have said a lot on the show that we've been treated much better by non-Mormon men than by Mormon yeah. men. And, um, in my experience, the Mormon men were extremely pushy and not respectful and then treated you like it was your fault when something did happen. And with like my current partner and like Sarah with her husband, you finally you get to realize like what you were just saying, Amy, of like, oh, this is how you're supposed to be treated. Like yep. you're supposed to actually want to do this. Yeah. And my partner, he is not a member. So he said to hear all of my stories without like really the background context. He thinks that it's he can't, he does not believe, or he can't believe, not believe, understand how I stayed so long, but I don't know. You just don't know. It's hard when you haven't been in it. It's like, yeah, you, you can listen, but yeah, they still are just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, why yeah, I'm sorry to me to cut you off. It's just like so hard for them to comprehend because it's like, and I think also with all of our partners, like they love us so much and like the to, to imagine someone and especially a guy like treating you that way, just like for them, it, it's something like, I can't, I can't understand how can someone treat you like that? Or like, how did you think that that was an okay behavior? Like, it just kind of makes them feel sad and upset at the same time. I think, I mean, that's the impression that yeah. I've always gotten is like, it, it's just, it's hard to comprehend because it's so fucked up. Agreed. I do want to preface that. So there, I've dated plenty of assholes in and out of the church, but I've also dated some very respectful men in and out of the church. But so I do want to, if yeah. anyone who I dated who is a good person, I don't want to <laughs> say all all of you are horrible. There's been really <laughs> nice ones in there too, but certainly had my fair share of some some gems. We'll just say. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, I hate that the time is up because I feel like could just keep going and talking about this but I really appreciate you sharing everything and, and telling us about like the disciplinary council and just being so open and vulnerable because it's it's interesting and it's infuriating and more people need to know about mm -hmm. how this works yeah. yeah thank you for allowing me to come on it's I've listened to you so much so it's I don't know it's nice to be able to just chat with you it seems like talking to, to two friends which is great because oh, we are your two friends amy yes. we're your uh, sisters in zion oh no <laughs> no we are not <laughs> no but really thank you so much for sharing your story like i'm sorry mean, i talked so long no don't apologize stop it don't apologize like honestly it was amazing it was exactly what I personally needed to hear. I think there were a few things that you touched on that definitely made me a bit emotional, but in a good way to just be like, shit, like I can relate to this. So I know that so many people listening are going to relate and you're going to say things that are, that are going to make them feel less guilty and alone. You know, that's going to really help them and anyone else who maybe is on the fence or questioning or struggling with some of the past trauma from the church, this episode's going to help. And so mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you so much. And I'm really happy for you that you've left mm -hmm. the church, that you're in a really healthy, functional relationship with someone who loves and took the time to get to know you 
And, you know, you may not have taken your name off the records yet, but Amy, don't feel pressure to do it. Like, do it at your time and your speed. Like, yeah. that choice is up to you. And I'm just happy that you're out of the church and not paying tithing. Like, that's and, the most important. Yeah. And not wearing not wearing garments anymore. Yeah. Now you don't have these infections all the time. So that's great. <laughs> Win-win. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Thank you. All right, listeners, that'll wrap it up for now, but we'll be back next week with some more. We love you. Love Bye-bye. you guys. Bye.